0: as if they were still running past the plain facades of silent Helvetian neighborhoods, and had never disembarked to find the potholes, stray dogs, papers, and street vendors of Valparaiso. In any case, the illustrious Almagro and Ruggiero would have to be patient, Cayetano Brulé concluded, as he adjusted the knot of his tie, which was bright purple with little green guanacos, and waited for the waitress, a pale goth girl with jet-black hair and black clothing, wore a Kanye West-style headset to communicate with the kitchen. He unfolded the local newspaper and read on the front page about the defeat of the long-suffering soccer team, the Wanderers, the slashed throat of a model in the gardens of the Viña del Mar Casino, and the alarming rise of unemployment in the region. This last piece of information didn't surprise him. The decline of Valparaiso was no secret. In the nineteenth century, it had been the most important and prosperous port on the Pacific. Enrico Caruso and Sarah Bernhardt acted in its theaters, Gatti Chavez and exclusive European boutiques opened along its streets, and a quarter of its population, being foreign, spoke no Spanish. But a ferocious earthquake on the night of August sixteenth, nineteen 1906, devastated the city and buried more than three thousand of its inhabitants under the rubble of buildings, houses, and mansions, all in a matter of seconds. That same night, thousands of people abandoned the city for good, and those who remained began, from that moment on, to live by evoking the splendor and glitter of the past, the beauty of the disappeared city convinced that in some not-too-distant future a miracle would restore the march of progress. But just one day short of eight years later, that same progress dealt them another brutal blow—the opening of the Panama Canal, which was celebrated on August 15, 1914, and strangled Valparaiso. The bay became desolate overnight, the warehouses in the port went empty, the cranes stood still on the wharf— and the bars, shops, and restaurants closed their doors forever, casting employees, whores, and pimps into permanent unemployment. Without any knowledge of this tragic history, of this unending decline, which seemed more like a deliberate divine punishment than the result of random fate, and captivated by the delirious architecture and topography of the city, and the affable and taciturn nature of its inhabitants— Cayetano decided to settle in Valparaiso when he arrived in Chile in 1971 on the arm of Maria Paz Angela Undaraga Cox, his wife at the time. Those were the days of Salvador Allende and Unidad Popular, as well as of an unbridled social turmoil that would lead not to what the people dreamed of, but rather to the dictatorship of Augusto Pinochet. How many years had passed since then, since the start of that period that so many preferred to forget thirty-odd years. In any case, the people of this port city, or Porteños, ever dignified—and he now considered himself one of them—believed that good and bad luck crouched waiting around any corner or just beyond the curve of some stone staircase, and for that reason everything in the world was relative and fleeting. For Porteños, accustomed to climbing and descending hills, existence was like their city— At times one soared joyfully, trusting the wave's crest, and at times one lay depressed and unmoving in the depths of a ravine. One could always rise or fall. Nothing was certain. Nothing was forever. No circumstance was permanent. With existence came uncertainty, and only death had no room for change. For that reason, and because he was an incorrigible optimist as long as he didn't want for bread and coffee— as well as an occasional cold beer or glass of rum, and despite the fact that work opportunities were scarce for a private investigator in this city at the end of the earth, which had now become a respectable exporter of fruit, wine, and salmon, and where more and more families were acquiring second cars, vacationing in Havana and Miami, or getting into limitless debt, he didn't mind making the owners of ARNA wait. Sixteen years earlier, in 1990, the Chilean people had regained democracy through peaceful protests, and now, in this supposedly gray and conservative country, where not too long before divorce was illegal, the president was a divorced woman, a single mother, and a socialist, not to mention an atheist. President Bachelet was a clear sign that this stiletto of land, which extended from the Atacama Desert, the most arid and inhospitable one on the planet, to the South Pole, and which balanced between the fierce waves of the Pacific and the